Last week, your host David Wilson took you on a radio adventure in the extraordinary Finger Lakes wine region of upstate New York. Hopefully that show underscored what an outstanding and important world-class wine region the Finger Lakes is. As a matter of fact, Wine Enthusiast Magazine recently named the Finger Lakes Wine Region of the Year. This week, we return to the Finger Lakes for a very different story. A story that will certainly make you cringe and more likely make your blood boil. Shortly after the Finger Lakes received Wine Enthusiast Magazine's highest honor, another story broke that seemed unthinkable. An out-of-state natural gas fracking company had convinced the federal government to allow them to begin storing billions of gallons of pressurized liquid natural gas in abandoned salt caves under pristine Seneca Lake. For months now, citizens from the area and supporters from other parts of the country have tried in vain to convince local leaders, the governor and even the White House, to block the gas storage citing cases where property and lives were lost as a result of similar gas storage scenarios. A few months ago, Grape Encounters brought you the story of the tireless efforts of volunteers working to protect their vineyards, homes, businesses, and lives. Hundreds of these citizens have been arrested for peacefully trying to block the delivery of gas shipments. And though the court sympathized with their cause and all charges were dropped, It appears that little or no support from state and federal officials is likely. So that we may help you to better understand the Finger Lakes wine country fracking story, David traveled to the region where he was invited to attend a gathering of the organization We Are Seneca Lake. There was only one thing the group insisted upon. David was not permitted to disclose the meeting location. We now join David and about 100 members of We Are Seneca Lake to hear the current state of affairs firsthand. I'm Michael Sheehy for Grape Encounters Radio. Here's David. Peel me a grape, crush me some ice, skin me. Peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. Many thanks to our longtime announcer, Michael Sheehy, for that awesome introduction. This is David Wilson coming to you from a location very close to Seneca Lake in the incredibly beautiful Finger Lakes region of upstate New York. Now, I simply have to tell you that I have been nothing short of stunned by two things since arriving here a week or so ago. First, I've never been more amazed by the consistent quality of wines that I have tasted from this region. Unless you're in New York, it's highly probable that you've never tasted Finger Lakes wines. And that's a crying shame. These wines scarcely make it out of the Empire State, but as the word gets out, and I certainly intend to help in that regard, the rest of the world will have yet another extraordinary region to enjoy wines from. Now, most of the Finger Lakes wines that I've had the opportunity to enjoy on this trip have been nothing short of world class. And I'm pretty confident that you will certainly find that to be true when you discover them as well. Now, the second thing that stunned me is the issue that these people are facing with respect to the storage of fracked gas under Seneca Lake. To any reasonable person, it makes little or no sense to endanger one of America's most amazing communities and resort areas when so much of our country is unpopulated. And if you don't believe me, just fly across America in the daytime and you'll see what I mean. 
Now, I'm told that the gas that will be stored here is not for the benefit of New Yorkers. It doesn't come from here, and what I'm hearing from many in the know is that this gas will be held until the price gets higher. Then it will be resold, most probably overseas. Now, to be fair, I can't confirm that conclusion as of yet, but I don't know that anyone can read the minds of the gas developers or politicians who have welcomed them with open arms. What I can tell you is that these people are very scared. Right now, I'm looking at children jumping into a pond and a large group of adults who formed a circle and are about to perform an Indian ritual intended to protect the lake. Now, Indian heritage is highly respected in this part of the country, and these very kind and gentle people are doing everything they possibly can to protect themselves and their children who are jumping off the dock near me, oblivious to the potential danger that haunts their parents. Now, most of these very peaceful, normally law-abiding citizens have been arrested out of a desperate attempt to protect their vineyards and other crops, their businesses, their homes, and their families. I've talked to a number of people who've never had so much as a parking ticket, yet they feel compelled to stand in front of a truck because their government is sadly unresponsive. Now, I'm going to let you have a listen to what's going on right now, and then we'll have some of these folks join us over at a nearby picnic table to get their thoughts in front of our microphones. Now, as Michael pointed out earlier, I had to give my word that I would not disclose their meeting location, as many of them fear reprisal. It's my pleasure to respect that request, but let me simply say that this is a beautiful setting that none of us would want to see harmed by a disaster caused by a lightning strike or human error. All right, let's have a listen. For thousands of years, sang to the water in, in their connection with the water. They are the protectors of the water. And many years ago, about seven, eight now, the elders uh, way up north realized that there were not enough women to able to sing the song, and they, they had many meetings for many years and decided to release this to the general public. It can only be transferred from woman to woman, and it's only ever played with cedar sticks. But once you learn it from another woman, you are allowed to teach it then to another woman. And if you sing it every day, this not only heals the waters of the earth, and you're talking to the waters of the earth, but it's also about the waters of your own body. So we do it four times. We usually do it in direction. So we would face east first. Those of you that know it, sing with me, please. to admit that I've never sang to a lake before, but something tells me that if I had a home anywhere near the salt caves, which were formed from many years of salt mining, I would do just about anything I could to try to protect my family and myself. These are ordinary people, just like you and me, and they are literally shell-shocked by the lack of empathy they're receiving from government on virtually every level. I'll be speaking to an acclaimed scientist who is participating in this gathering 
along with winemakers, tasting room workers, people from the hospitality industry, and virtually every other walk of life imaginable. These are bright, intelligent people, any of which you would love to have as a friend or neighbor. They've been pooling their resources to fund legal efforts to prevent what they believe is something that poses a very real threat to this fragile ecosystem and thousands of lives in the surrounding area. But imagine their uphill battle when the people that they're trying to stop have a war chest that is practically unlimited. I do want to take a moment to share a conversation I recently had in the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar back in my hometown of Atascadero. Two women from out of town recently stopped in for a glass of wine at the Emporium. They were not from our area, but rather worked for the gas company that services our region. In beautiful Atascadero, both a residential and resort community and home of Grape Encounters Radio, the gas company is replacing a major pipeline that runs down the main boulevard of the city. I asked these ladies why the pipeline was being replaced, and they were quick to answer. They told me the gas line was one of the oldest in the area and that failing to replace it could have devastating consequences. That's a fact that is easy to understand. If the pipe is compromised and comes into contact with any form of ignition, even a spark from a passing car's muffler, the resulting tragedy could wind up on the national news. Now, imagine billions of gallons of compressed gas stored in a cave of questionable integrity. Might this cave experience leakage once it's filled with gas? No one really seems to know. And that's a chance most people in the Finger Lakes are not willing to take. But they're being ignored, and that's why we're here, to allow their story to be told and let the rest of the country weigh in on whether their concerns are valid and deserve to be more thoughtfully addressed. We'll be back with a number of guests who have volunteered to share their thoughts and tell their stories. In the meantime, if you'd like to sit down with me personally and discuss this and anything else that has to do with wine, why not do what many listeners have already done? Make your way to Atascadero and book a room at the beautiful historic Carlton Hotel just across the street from our wine bar and studios. If I'm in town, I'll give you a personal tour of our special little world, and the folks at the absolutely beautiful Carlton Hotel will treat you like royalty. So if you'd like to visit our wine country on the central coast of California, Google the Carlton and tell them you heard about them on Grape Encounters Radio. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. 
A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. two visitors to our makeshift Rape Encounter studio here at Seneca Lake. It's Asa and Stephanie Redmond. Welcome. You guys are very deeply involved in the efforts here. And just, you know, talk to me about when you got involved and what are you doing on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis here? Well, thanks for having us. Both Stephanie and I have been arrested twice at the gates of Crestwood. We feel pretty strongly about this issue and, you know, both of us growing up in the area. I grew up about eight miles from the gates of Crestwood. My mom lives in Tyrone, not very far. So what did you do to get arrested? I mean, what do you have to do wrong that you're charged with some kind of a crime? You're merely standing in a driveway blockading a truck. Right, so you stand in front of a truck. That's it. That's it. They cuff you? They did it first. Now they're not. There's so many of us. Uh, actually, it depends on which department comes to get you. Yeah, I so want to get arrested, but it's a weekend. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get arrested on a weekend. <laughs> no, it's just a Monday through Friday. Oh, my, Monday, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Stephanie, how, how did it feel to get arrested? First time arrest? Well. Okay, don't answer that. <laughs> Pretty much. Let's get that part. All right, but it's, it must be a strange feeling to do what you feel in your heart is right and for the government to stand in your way just because you're trying to stop something that potentially threatens your community. You know, it actually was kind of a scary thing the first time I went up there. I'm a stay-at-home mother of three, so I'm not used to breaking the rules. So the first time I went up there, I was nervous about it and how I would be treated by the police. But the whole action was very well organized by We Are Seneca Lake. We, we were very well informed about um, the process. And I found the police actually to be incredibly professional and respectful of us. And some of them even went as far as to say, we have to drink the water too, we're on your side, we have to come and arrest you because we were called to do that and that's our job. Yeah, that's got to be a real hard thing for them to do because I'm guessing that a good number of them grew up in this area, grew up with you guys, absolutely sympathized with the cause, but are being put in a very compromised position. Absolutely, absolutely. Even, uh, you know, the DA, when we go to court for these charges, even the DA has expressed, you know, that he lives right up the road from everybody else and, you know, enjoys the lake and it's his source of drinking water too so I think it's an issue that affects a lot of different people. So let's talk wine for a second because how long first of all have you been here in the area? 
Both of us grew up here. Okay, so you grew up here. So you've seen this wine industry in the Finger Lakes just mushroom, right? Absolutely. I'm also the co-owner of Regional Access, which is a natural foods company started by my father, Gary Redmond, about 25 years ago, specializing in New York State food. So the local agriculture and agro-tourism, the wine economy of the area is just so crucial. It's, it's amazing that it can be ignored to allow a project like this to go through. Yeah, you know, as someone who also lives in a winemaking community, it was astounding to me the past couple of days to see just how much tourism is generated by the wine industry here. It's huge. Huge. The wine tours, there's boat wine tours by Boat Up Seneca Lake. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. I was at one winery earlier today where somebody actually flew in by helicopter and landed at the winery. And, you know, you don't see that even in California. It's astounding to me. And the number of people in the tasting rooms, astonishing. Quality of the wine. So it just seems so ridiculous to me. Me and irresponsible to even consider doing what they're doing. In your own research, are there other options that this company has? Could they take it someplace else? We got a lot of desert in America. Absolutely. Well, you know, Let's go blow actually, up the desert. <laughs> yeah. There's actually over 400 large gas storage facilities throughout the United States, but only about 3% of them are actually in these salt cavern facilities. Wow. The majority of them are actually designed for holding gas. They, they have line tanks and whatnot. Um, so they're man-made. Exactly. This is a geologic structure that was created by solution mining. They basically took hot water and forced it down underground, dissolved the salt, and then brought it back up, evaporated the water, and you had salt. So over time, caverns were formed underground. But the problem with it is not just a salt cavern. It's actually an embedded shale within the salt. And so that allows fissures to go out up to 8, you know, 10 miles in every direction right. where, where methane notoriously leaks through the fissures. And if you look into other facilities like Hutchinson, Kansas, that blew up, I think it was in 2011, there were houses that were literally almost eight miles away that blew up because the methane filled up their basements. And it's not something that you can smell at that point because the additive to make it... That's a very good point that a lot of people don't realize. Methane gas is actually scented. And the reason they scent it is so that if there's a gas leak in your house, you'll smell this very unpleasant smell. But in the wholesale side of it, it's not yet added right. to this it. Is, so This is pre-odor. Exactly. Oh my, unbelievable. Um, so the number of wineries that are near the project, how many would you say are there, actually? Do you know? I don't know a number, but I know that Seneca Lake is lined with wineries on both sides. And within a mile, there has to be at least 30. Yeah. Really close. It's a, it's a huge industry yeah. there now. But, you know, above and beyond all of that, you know, we're talking about the potential destruction of one of the most beautiful places in America, if not the planet. Exactly right. This is just an oil company that's coming in without really any regard to that and the existing agro-tourism economy, the wine that is already existing. They tell their shareholders they want to make this the gas storage hub of the Northeast. Unbelievable. Yeah. We have all the options right here to get off of fossil fuels. We have all the technology available to us right now. And if we took the um, subsidies that are given to gas and oil companies and left them to the taxpayers, then we'd be able to get on these incentives like NYSERDA's offering for solar and wind and ground source heat pumps 
we have the options here to transfer out of fossil fuels, and we don't need this even in our area. Do you think it's ironic that a good number of the wineries here in the Finger Lakes are undergoing a pretty significant effort to be sustainable? I've, I've heard a number of them talk about the fact that they're turning to solar and you know alternative energy sources, and that's true all over the country, by the way. And mm. here you've got an industry that's very focused on being sustainable, being threatened by what amounts to archaic and probably inappropriate fuel sources. Well, this technology is becoming obsolete because it is so very dangerous. And one of my favorite blockades that we had recently was a renewable energy blockade. And we had Josh Fox and we had Renovus come up. It's a local solar company. And it was so interesting to have the future of energy juxtaposed against this archaic technology in the background. It showed how obvious it was. You know, our solution's right there. We don't need this. And so it was so great to sort of take that off the table completely and just give them other options. Would you like to be a fly on the wall at one of those luncheons where these people are sitting around a table drinking the delicious Finger Lakes wine and talking about how they can profit from all of this? Yeah, it defies logic what they're trying to do. It's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde thing to come in and store gas in caverns that have one of them, the ceilings already collapsed. And it seems like a crazy plan that it wouldn't be realistic to even try to do. And here they come trying to push this through on a, a small little town like Reading. But like all things in life, people don't respond until there's a catastrophe. That's right. I mean, I've been traveling for the past several weeks. And every time I have to take my shoes off in the airport because one person, you know, had explosives in his shoes, and we've all had to do this Absolutely. and endure this, but it took that one incident to do it, yeah. right? Yeah. And we're having enough incidents. That's the thing. We're all seeing on, on a global level all the accidents that the gas and oil industry has brought to us. Well, it's been fun being here today with all of these really wonderful people and seeing all the, the kindness and the gentleness of this organization and people who just want the status quo to remain. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, you're very welcome, and we're going to go to break. In just a moment, a renowned scientist who is a nationally recognized expert on fracking and gas storage will explain the potential consequences to the Finger Lakes wine business and its fragile ecosystem. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio. really one of, I hate to use this term, but one of the big dogs here. It's Dr. Sandra Steingraber, and you're involved in this in a very big way, and as I understand, you pretty much have devoted your whole life to dealing not just with this particular issue here at the Finger Lakes, but issues of this kind all over the country, or is it all over the world? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a biologist, so I've been studying the impact of toxic chemicals on ecosystems and people's health for a lot of years, and some of the biggest threats to environmental health come from oil and gas extraction, transport, and storage. And so it so happens that only a few miles from my home where I'm raising my family, along comes Crestwood uh, midstream that has occupied the west bank of Seneca Lake with the intent of turning it into a giant gas station for the products of fracking. So I began uh, my involvement in this decision about whether Crestwood should be able to move forward with this plan or not. Um, As a biologist who 
gave expert testimony, who helped the public give informed testimony and showed up at conferences and so forth, only to discover as the years went by that good science was simply being set aside and, and brushed away and and uh, to hear, you know, oh, we're not we're not considering that. So they go through the motions, but when it gets right down to it, the decision is made on the basis of what? Financial considerations? Well, I don't really know how they make their decisions, but I do know that this kind of gas storage has a very bad track record in other places in the nation. So I'll back up for a minute and just say that the salt mining that we've done here on Seneca Lake goes back for more than 100 years and probably before Before that. Before we even knew what being environmentally conscious was. Before we even ran our economy on fossil fuels. Wow. (laughs) So Native Americans were getting salt from this place. And so because this land that we're standing on now used to be 400 million years ago, a shallow sea that was very salty, layers of salt came out of solution and deposited themselves in these layers under the earth that are now about a thousand feet below us. And on the west side of Seneca Lake, that salt is very pure. And so they've been mining it there for more than a hundred years. And the the way they do it is called solution salt mining. And so they, they drill a hole down into the salt layer and then they pour hot water or steam down the hole and then suck up the brine and evaporate it and get this very fine salt. It's so pure that you can, if you've ever been in a hospital, you may have had Seneca Lake salt coursing through your blood plasma because they can turn it into saline solution. So there's a big difference between mining salt, where the danger might be hypertension, you know, versus storing gas where the potential danger would be what? <laughs> well, there's a lot of potential dangers. So under the ground then have formed these enormous caverns. If you can imagine the size of cathedrals, where the walls of the cathedral would be salt, but also layers of shale. So interbedded layers of shale and salt. And so now in these unlined crumbling caverns left over from a century of salt mining, we're going to store, not in any kind of containers, but actually using these salt caverns as the vessel itself, pressurized gases. Um, and, and there's no explosive. real way to go down there and assess exactly what the stability of those caverns is, right? I mean, it's, not a, it's, not it's, a it's, an edu- it's an educated guess. Right, because the unlike the kind of mines you might think about with people and pickaxes and little cars driving around, and then these mines um, are only accessible through a hole that's 1,000 feet deep that's very small in diameter. So nobody's actually been down to see these salt caverns. The only thing we can do is look at other places where there were similar formations where we've stored gas. And we see that in some cases it's ended very catastrophically. So in Hutchinson, Kansas, for example, in 2001, there was such an interbedded salt cavern in which was stored natural gas, pressurized. And then homes blew up and people died eight miles away. Wow. Um, when some of that methane leaked out, presumably in unseen fissures and cracks and traveled um, until it hit somebody's pilot light. So we don't want to wait until there's a catastrophe to stop this kind of process. We want to be able to look proactively and make a wise decision here. And so those of us who live here can say, you know, look, um, this is not just inherently unsafe, but it's inherently unsafe in a place where we turn water into wine. That's what we do here. This lake is the thermostat for the entire region that allows us to grow wine in this area. It's it's a $4.8 billion industry. And it's the water that allows the summers to be a little bit cooler and the winters to be a little bit warmer and makes it a little bit more like a Mediterranean climate here than other places in upstate New York. So we're putting all that at At risk. risk. So tell me the risks kind of on the low end, if everything went perfectly and on the far end, if it became a catastrophe. Right. So there's two kinds of gases that would be stored in the caverns according to the the proposal. One is methane, which would come by pipeline and be stored as a gas. And so that gas has 
to be pressurized through a compressor station. So the compressor station itself is leaky. I mean, you, you can't really ever store natural gas, which is methane, with, without leaks. And so even if everything goes without catastrophic accident, we're still putting gas into the, into the climate that we know is a very potent greenhouse gas. So a lot of people who come out to protest with us are doing so because they feel that they are protecting the climate and that we have a moral obligation to all of the communities where fracking is going on who are being devastated and poisoned by fracking to not be the place where the gas is warehoused until the price goes up. And we have a moral obligation to all the people downstream from us who are fighting pipelines and compressor stations in their communities to also stand up against this because we're kind of aiding and abetting this continued dependency on fossil fuel. It absolutely gives me the chills as you talk about this because as you really take the time to start to visualize what's going on here that a foreign company, and I mean foreign meaning they're not from New York, but a foreign company can somehow manage to get buy-in to put in an extensive pipeline system, a compression station, and then use Mother Nature in a way that it was not intended to be used. And for whatever reason, the local politicians allow them to do that. Well, we feel that we're taking all of the risks and um, receive none of the profits from this, right? So the profits all go to Houston, Texas. And meanwhile, everyone here is living with the anxiety of billions of gallons of explosive gases underneath their homes and their communities right next to the lake that's a source of drinking water for 100,000 people and putting at risk the goose that lays the golden egg, which is our wine and tourism industry. Wow. So that that's how we see the stakes here. What, what, um, as a scientist, what are the potential impacts of the gas being stored there without a catastrophe. In other words, forget there being a fissure and there being an explosion. What would be the impact of this highly pressurized liquid gas being stored long term underneath Seneca Lake? Well, these I mean, ca- especially, right. especially for the wine industry. Right. So these caverns are inherently unstable. Simply by having pressurized gases in caverns where there's naturally occurring, there's brine. I mean, these caverns fill up with brine. Right. And, and we also don't know very much about how Seneca Lake is fed by groundwater sources. We know that it's fed by springs underneath the lake, but this lake is so deep, right? It's more than 600 feet deep. It's deeper than sea level. And so we have a hard time imaging through sonogram what the bottom of this lake is like, but we know it's fed in some way by underground sources of water. So we don't have a good idea where the salt caverns end and where these underground sources of water begin. What we worry about is when you pressure these salt caverns, can you push brine into the lake? And the reason we worry about that is that there was another time in Seneca Lake's history between 1965 and the middle 1980s where we did have some liquefied petroleum gases stored in those caverns. And what you see is a spike in the salinity of the lake. So what I can say is that you increase the saltiness of drinking water and, and that's a health risk for people. Already this Seneca Lake is so salty that people who are on severely sodium restricted diets are not supposed to consume this drinking water. If we should salt it further, we're starting at a higher baseline, right? And so suddenly we're in the realm of, like, can infants drink this water? We know that we have studies showing that if infants drink water with high salt levels, their blood pressure changes. We know that people who have kidney disease, hypertension, they should not be drinking a lot of sodium and chloride in their water and so on. And so it's a health risk for the 100,000 people who depend on this lake, whether or not there's a catastrophic accident. Now, do we have absolute proof that if 
we put gas in those caverns, we're going to increase the salinity of the lake? We don't. <laughs> we just have some evidence from 20, 30 years ago that it may have happened. The question becomes in science, when you don't have certainty, what do you do? Do you err on the side of caution and protect people's health? Wow. Or do yeah. you say, you know, benefit of, does benefit of the doubt go to people and water and wine? Or does it go to Crestwood? Such That's a, the such question. A, such a powerful statement because what really is happening is you're putting the environment, the people, the industry, the profits that are already existent here at risk. Right. I see this as a fight between the future and the past. The past are these ruinous forms of fossil fuel that um, say any hole in the ground we're going to shove our fossil fuels into and we're going to keep lighting the stuff on fire even in a climate emergency. The future is in renewable energy. It's in local agriculture, right. agro-tourism and wine. And so those of us who are blockading at the gate, we feel like we are trying to close the door at a compressor station site and open another door, you know, a, a kind of a, a sustainability that depends on the agricultural bounty of this re- region, which depends on a healthy lake. All right. Well, can I buy you a glass of wine? I would love that. All right. Thank we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back in just a moment from the Finger Lakes here, Seneca Lake on Grape Encounters Radio. When we return, you will hear from two musicians who are using their musical talents to raise awareness about the concern over Finger Lakes gas storage. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio. If you have a thirst for wine knowledge, be it trivia or the latest trends, there's a website that's overflowing with content that we've created just for you. It's GrapeEncounters.com, where you'll find literally hundreds upon hundreds of stories and interviews covering almost every topic imaginable. From the world's most colorful and renowned winemakers to unforgettable wine adventures, there's something for every wine lover at GrapeEncounters.com. Go ahead. Log on, uncork, pour, swirl, and sip. As a grape encounterist, you know how much fun an hour of conversation about wine can be each week. But there's no way we can pack everything into a show. Listeners just like you are turning the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group into an incredible online community where like-minded wine lovers converse, share information, and inspire each other with posts on a variety of interesting topics. If you haven't discovered your community, join in today on Facebook by entering Grape Encounters Radio. If you love wine, then you probably love to travel, too. And there are two places you should really visit soon. The best part is you don't even have to pack a bag or leave your house. If you're looking for adventures in wine, log on to GrapeEncounters.com. There you'll find an audio library of more than 300 stories that will take you virtually anywhere you want to go. At GrapeEncounters.com, you'll find short subjects as well as full stories. All audio can be downloaded with one click, and you'll be amazed at the broad range of subject matter. Another place you really should visit is our Facebook group page. Simply search for Grape Encounters Radio or click on the link on our website. The Grape Encounters Radio group has become a formidable place for wine lovers to exchange ideas, introduce products, and share upcoming events. If you're not already a group member, then join the party on Facebook. Grape Encounters is more than a radio broadcast. It's a family of like-minded, fun-loving, unpretentious wine lovers. Come fill up your glass today. Stuff. You and me can live that high life in New York. 
Okay, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we are at a gathering of the group We Are Seneca Lake. We are in Hector, New York. And with me, oh my gosh, two really amazing musicians. We have Professor... It's Professor, right? That's right. How did you become a Professor Felix Farkoff? Well, it was handed to me one night at the uh, at, at when we were doing a gig, and I used to do a, a poetry corner, and my cohort uh, introduced me that way, and the name has stuck ever since. He introduced me as Professor Felix Farkoff. Wow, and you've been that ever since? Uh, I've been ever since ever since 1976. Wow, that's a long time, and that's the year that the wine industry in America took off. How about that? 1976. There, mm. It must be serendipity. <laughs> and then also with us is Nora, right? Yes, I'm Nora Starr. And so how long have you two been playing music together? Uh, this will be the beginning of our 11th year. Wow. We, we play as a duo called De Prof and Star. Wow. How did you guys meet? At a jam session really? in Watkins. Club. I was hosting a jam session down at the end of the Seneca Lake here. And I met Nora at one of the wineries where she was working and found out she played guitar. Invited her down, and um, next thing you know... The rest is history. (laughs) So, Nora, are you still in the wine business? Um, I'm not working for the wineries now, no, um, but I... Jess and I and uh, assorted groups we play and play at a variety of the wineries. Are you amazed, both of you, at how the wine industry has grown here in Um, New York? As a local person, I grew up in Elmira, which isn't too far from here. I've actually seen them increase over the last 40 years, more so than a lot of people, because I remember what it was like back in the 60s. And yes, it's tremendous. The wineries and the breweries are just popping up right and left, and it's good for business, I think. Yeah, well, you know what? It's amazing because the Finger Lakes here in New York represent the largest wine industry in New York. Not only that, the region was just named Wine Region of the Year by Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And in the very same year that that happens, this issue surfaces. Mm -hmm. And it's astounding to me that we would see two things that are so opposite of one another. Right. What now is a very important industry for the state of New York and, and good for the entire American economy and to see it threatened, potentially. And, you know, I'm not a news show. I'm allowed to give my opinion. That's and, good. <laughs> and I can't, and when, I, when I saw this story, I just scratched my head and said, this really can't be happening. They wouldn't really do this. And that's, that's the opinion of a lot of us locals, especially the Finger Lakes locals. It's a beautiful area and has wonderful agricultural, not just the wineries, which are very important, but there's a lot of cabbage farms, apple farms, you name it. It's very agricultural. And the Finger Lakes, when you think about it, if you exclude the Great Lakes... Is one of the largest bodies of freshwater yeah, going. Absolutely. So I want to understand better from your perspective why it is that we're not seeing more people here in upstate New York really coming out against what's going on here. I mean, you've got a pretty formidable group here this evening, but I've heard today, quite to my amazement, that the, the town that is closest to this site the the citizens may be completely unaware of what's going on. How is that how is that possible? I find that to be the case because it's a very rural very rural. The town of Reading is very rural, let's put it that way. And they don't have get-togethers where they have people talk and meet. They don't have socials. It's ignorance. Not that they are ignorant people. It's just that they don't. They are not aware. Ignorant in the nicest way. Not aware. They're They're not aware. They're unaware of it, yeah. Yeah. If you don't listen to the news or (laughs) you you don't tune in, you're not going to know. So what is it going to take to bring awareness to these people? I know you are rallying the troops where music is concerned, right? Oh, and, yes, and tell we are. me how that's working exactly. We have an event 
It's called Winter Squabby. Every year at uh, this will be year four or five, well, five coming up. Coming year up five now. coming up in the spring. We have a three day event at the Stone Cat, which is in the town of Hector here. Stone Cat Cafe. And it's about an environmental issue every year. We have raised funds for anti-fracking. We have run funds for gas-free Seneca. And this past year was We Are Seneca Lake. In the case where we raised the money for We Are Seneca Lake, Jess and I are not on the front lines, but we are very supportive in the back lines in the funds that help pay for the legal issues, the attorneys, and so that you sort of thing. actually out using your own talent to raise money. And to, awareness. And awareness and to try to fight this. In yep. addition to that, we have 25 to 30 bands. So each of those bands, they don't make a dime. All those bands, and there are tons and tons and tons of musicians in the Figure Lake area that are very supportive of these causes. And in their own ways, they are fighting and bringing recognition to it. Yeah. So uh, you looking for something there? My bean salad. The table is gone, and I knew I should have grabbed it earlier. <laughs> My 10,000 right, bean right. salad. Your, your bean salad is, uh, It'll be fine. is interrupting our interview here. No, it ain't. <laughs> All right. So tell me. <laughs> so I don't think a lot of people understand that the wineries that are now calling this area home, these are formidable wineries. And I was at one today that had such a huge amount of tourist traffic. It isn't just about the wine, but it's the wine tourism oh, absolutely. as well. Yeah. And, and as I understand it, regardless of whether there was a catastrophe, that one of the environmental impacts is the salt being pushed to the surface and potentially really scarring the land here. And not to scarring, mention poisoning yes. the water. The thing, There's two things. Oh, yeah, well, there's that too. There's two things. First of all, you're talking about if it uh, if the LPG passes, you're talking about many, many people who are hometown people, and I consider myself one of those. We know the beauty of the Finger Lakes. We know how nice this area is to come visit, to live in. Yeah. And we would hate to have that part disappear. Even though it's, it's a large area, in some ways it's still old-fashioned, and we enjoy the comfort and the beauty of the area. That's destroyed when you have that, all that extra traffic happening. Yeah. All the time. And then as far as the wine industry, again, if pollution is caused because of some accident, that's going to destroy what I consider the clean industries as opposed to other industries. Well, I appreciate you guys very much coming on with me. Nora, Professor. Thank you. I wish you the best of luck, and thanks for being on Grape Encounters. Sure, please come to Winter Squabby sure. next fall if you can. I'll be in touch with you for there. sure. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Grape Encounters Radio. If you'd like to be kept abreast of this or any other story, drop us a line on our website, grapeencounters.com. David will be back next week reporting from the wine countries of North Greece. So iron your toga and make sure you're back here at this same time a week from now. Cheers to you.